Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 19 is entitled Progression. Where did consciousness come from? Where did life come from? Where did matter and energy come from? Where did God come from? Perhaps the best that can be said is that they are here, that they have always been here, and they are here to stay because they cannot be created or destroyed. Let me invite you to look into the mirror. Ignore the wrinkles and blemishes that haunt us all and look into your crystal clear and beautiful eyes and ask yourself, am I real? Now, think of the famous words of the French philosopher René Descartes. Cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. Your very consciousness is all the evidence you need of your eternal existence. Within your aging body is an immortal spirit made after the image of God, the model by which your body was formed. Only your spirit is eternally young. It cannot grow old and die. Time means nothing to your spirit. It is beyond the incarnadine teeth of that flesh-eater entropy that devours us all. That immortal spirit is what makes you a child of God. He is your father. You were born into heaven with heavenly parents, just as you were born into earth of earthly parents. Within that immortal spirit is an intelligence that has always existed, for it can be neither created nor destroyed. Consciousness either exists or it doesn't. It is not a will of the wisp. There is that in you that will never, ever die. You are unique. There is nothing quite like you. There is no doppelganger. There are people who have similar characteristics. You share the genetic code of your parents, and they share the genetic code of their parents, all the way back to Adam. But the genetic code governs our mortal body, not our spiritual body. There are no two leaves alike, just as there are no two snowflakes alike. There are no two physical bodies that are alike in every detail, not even identical twins. However, it is your spirit, not your body, that gives you your uniqueness. For me, one of the greatest arguments of intelligent design is the genetic code. The earth has the Goldilocks zone, which is overwhelming evidence of intelligent design. Our bodies have the genetic code. Accident or evolution could never design either. Evolution plays a huge part in our survival, but evolution cannot create us. Evolution is immortal law only and can never affect immortality. It cannot be responsible for consciousness. How could it? What mechanism could it possibly have? Evolution feeds on death, like all carrion creatures, a temporal thing only. Consciousness can have no beginning, and consciousness can have no end. Else how can you account for the existence of God? Anytime you estimate men or women, you underestimate them. Remember that when you put yourself down, you are putting down a child of God, an immortal being as ageless as the stars that brighten the night sky. Regardless of distinctive gifts, no being on earth, not even the great Einstein, has more potential than you. How could they, seeing that you are an eternal being just like they are, an immortal spirit, an everlasting intelligence? Mortality is a temporary state eaten by entropy. The spirit is immortal, and your resurrection will be immortal. The purpose of the resurrection is to clothe your immortal spirit with an immortal body, and both will live forever. Mortal limitations have no bearing on immortal possibilities. 
All physical and mental handicaps will be erased in the resurrection, and all the ghosts of the past will be gone, like the cobwebs of an old barn swept away by fire. There has never been a time when you, as an intelligence, you as a life force, you as a conscious spirit did not exist, and there will never be a time when you as an intelligence, you as a life force, and you as a conscious being will not exist. Opposition has always existed. You have always existed as an intelligence. Therefore, eternity exists. What you make of it is your choice, and that is where God comes in. Only Christ can bring you back into the presence of your Father in heaven. Only Christ can bring about your resurrection. Only Christ can atone for your sins. If you invite Christ into your life, then you may get on the path of eternal progression, a straight and narrow path that threads through eternity. Those geniuses we value on earth, and rightfully so, will be like children in the eternal scheme of things. Science is in its infancy. Science only knows of mortal things. Only God can teach us of immortal things. One is as real as the other, but only that which is spiritual is everlasting. Whatever form your life force or intelligence had before, your eternal progression began when God gave you an immortal spirit in his image. That is when we first called him Father. And your eternal progression advanced when God gave you a physical body after his likeness. And your progression will take another leap forward when you are resurrected, also only by the power of God. What do you think is going to happen when you die? Do you really believe that we will sit on a cloud all day, playing a harp and singing in a choir for eternity? Would that be heaven or hell? Are we to spend eternity inside a broken record? When I was a young boy, I sang so poorly that my mother told me to quit singing in church. I can remember that day so vividly. Everyone was singing, and I was singing my heart out, louder than anyone else, I suppose, for my mother leaned over and told me to shut up. I quit singing, and even today I don't sing in church. Don't be hard on my mother. She was not raised under the sappy sorority of political correctness where everyone is offended at everything. But what if I were to put in a choir in heaven? It would not be a pleasant experience for anyone, especially me, for I can just hear my mother telling me to shut up. Another time I was reminded that I had no idea that music required something like being in tune. My girlfriend's mother was trying to teach me how to dance. She said, can't you hear the beat? I didn't know what she was talking about. I listened and I listened and I could not hear anything except the music. What was a beat anyway? She tried to explain to me, but she couldn't. She danced to some unknown sound and expected me to hear what she heard. I never did. I hated dancing in high school. I watched others dance, and I knew they were swaying their soft bodies to something, but I didn't know what it was, for I never could hear it. I am sure music is a large part of glory, and I do love music with real words when it comes from someone else. But it is not logical for me to assume that all spirits do all day, eternity following eternity, is to sit around the throne of God, warbling hymns. Logic doesn't sustain such a scene as that. I know that I would be miserable, and I suspect everyone around me, behind their eternal smiles, would be wishing that I would shut up. Mark Twain is probably not the most reliable witness to be expounding on the conditions in heaven, but as with everything else, he had fixed opinions. An admirer of Twain from my youth, he and I are in complete harmony on heaven. Twain wrote a short story entitled, Captain Stormfield's Visit to Heaven. In the story, as Captain Stormfield was traveling to heaven, he got into a race with a comet and was driven off course. 
Consequently, he did not arrive at the pearly gates. He arrived many leagues away where no one knew him. Captain Stormfield had a difficult time explaining where he came from. He assumed naturally that everyone in heaven knew where Earth was, but at the gate he came in, no one had ever heard of Earth. The following dialogue ensued. The head clerk said, Well, quick, where are you from? San Francisco, says I. San Fran what, says he? San Francisco. He scratched his head and looked puzzled. Then he says, Is it a planet? By George Peters, think of it, planet, says I. It's a city, and moreover, it's one of the biggest and finest, and there, there, says he, no time here for conversation. We don't deal in cities here. Where are you from in a general way? Oh, I says, I beg your pardon. Put me down for California. I had him again. Peters, he puzzled a second. Then he says, sharp and irritable, I don't know any such planet. Is it a constellation? Oh, my goodness, says I. Constellation, says you? No, it's a state. Man, we don't deal in states here. Will you tell me where you are from in general, at large? Don't you understand? Oh, now I get your idea, I says. I'm from America, the United States of America. Peters, do you know I had him again? If I hadn't, I'm a clam. His face was as blank as a target after a militia shooting match. He turned to an underclerk and says, Where is America? What is America? The underclerk answered up prompt and says, There ain't any such orb. Orb, says I. Why, what are you talking about, young man? It ain't an orb. It's a country. It's a continent. Columbus discovered it. I reckon likely you've heard of him anyway. America. Why, sir, America. Silence, says the head clerk. Once for all, where are you from? Well, says I, I don't know anything more to say unless I lump things and just say I'm from the world. Ah, says he, brightening up. Now that's something like. What world? Peters. He had me that time. I looked at him puzzled. He looked at me worried. Then he burst out. Come, come, what world? Says I. Why, the world, of course. The world, he says. Hmm, there's billions of them. Next. Nearly a hundred years before George Lucas, Twain created a scene that could be taken from Star Wars. That meant for me to stand aside. I done so and a sky-blue man with seven heads and only one leg hopped into my place. I took a walk. It just occurred to me then that all the myriads I had seen swarming to the gate up to this time were just like that creature. I tried to run across somebody I was acquainted with, but they were out of acquaintances of mine just then. Twain enjoyed mocking certain Christian perceptions of the Bible, but he was no atheist. So I thought the thing all over and finally sidled back there pretty meek and feeling rather stumped, as you may say. Well, said the head clerk, well, sir, I says pretty humble, I don't seem to make out which world it is I'm from, but you may know it from this. It's the one the Savior saved. He bent his head at the name. Then he says gently, 
The worlds he has saved are like to the gates of heaven in number. None can count them. What astronomical system is your world in? Perhaps that may assist. Finally, Captain Stormfield is pointed to the pearly gates of his own kingdom, and the first thing he asked for was a harp, a halo, a hymn book, and a cloud. I continue with Twain's description. When I found myself perched on a cloud with a million other people, I never felt so good in my life, says I. Now this is according to the promises. I've been having my doubts, but now I am in heaven, sure enough. I gave my palm branch a wave or two for luck, and then tautened up my harp strings and struck in. Well, Peters, you can't imagine anything like the row we made. It was grand to listen to and made a body thrill all over, but there was considerable many tunes going on all at once, and that was a drawback to the harmony, you understand. And then there was a lot of Indian tribes that kept up such another war whooping that they kind of took the tuck out of the music. By and by, I quit performing and judged I'd take a rest. There was quite a nice, mild old gentleman sitting next to me, and I noticed he didn't take a hand. I encouraged him, but he said he was naturally bashful and was afraid to try before so many people. By and by, the old gentleman said he never could seem to enjoy music somehow. The fact was I was beginning to feel the same way, but I didn't say anything. Him and I had a considerable long silence then, but of course it weren't noticeable in that place. After about 16 or 17 hours, during which I played and sung a little now and then, always the same tune because I didn't know any other, I laid down my harp and began to fan myself with my palm branch. Then we both got to sign pretty regular. Finally, says he, Don't you know any tune but the one you've been pegging at all day? Not another blessed one, says I. Don't you reckon you could learn another one, says he? Never, says I. I've tried to, but I couldn't manage it. It's a long time to hang to the one. Eternity, you know. Don't break my heart, says I. I'm getting low-spirited enough already. After another long silence, says he. Are you glad to be here? Says I. Old man, I'll be frank with you. This ain't just as near my idea of bliss as I thought it was going to be when I used to go to church. Says he, what do you say to knocking off and calling it half a day? That's me, says I. I never wanted to get off watch so bad in my life. Captain Stormfield then starts out to explore heaven. Soon he meets an old friend from Earth. So we started. Millions were coming to the cloud bank all the time, happy and hosannaing. Millions were leaving it all the time, looking mighty quiet, I tell you. We laid for the newcomers, and pretty soon I got them to hold all my things a minute. And then I was a free man again, and most outrageously happy. Just then I ran across old Sam Bartlett, who had been dead a long time, and stopped to have a talk with him. Says I, now tell me, is this to go on forever? Ain't there anything else for a change? Says he, I'll set you right on that point very quick. People take the figurative language of the Bible and the allegories for literal, 
and the first thing they ask for when they get here is a halo and a harp and so on. Nothing that's harmless and reasonable is refused a body here if he asks it in the right spirit. So they are outfitted with these things without a word. They go and sing and play just about one day, and that's the last you'll ever see them in the choir. They don't need anybody to tell them that that sort of thing wouldn't make a heaven, at least not a heaven that a sane man would stand a week and remain sane. That cloud bank is placed where the noise can't disturb the old inhabitants, and so there ain't any harm in letting everyone get up there and cure himself as soon as he comes. Now you just remember this, heaven is as blissful and lovely as it can be, but it's just the busiest place you ever heard of. There ain't any idle people here after the first day. Singing hymns and waving palm branches through all eternity is pretty when you hear about it in the pulpit, but it's as poor a way to put in valuable time as any body could contrive. It would just make a heaven of warbling ignoramuses, don't you see? Eternal rest sounds comforting in the pulpit, too. Well, you try it once and see how heavy time hangs on your hands. Why, Stormfield, a man like you that had been active and stirring all his life, would go mad in six months in heaven where he hadn't anything to do. Heaven is the very last place to come to rest in. And don't you be afraid to bet on that. Forgive my indulgence. I can't read that without delight. We know very little about the pre-mortal existence. We know that we are the children of God, that he is our father, that Jesus Christ was the oldest son, the chosen one of the father. We do not know a lot more about heaven, though we do know this taken from the book of Revelation. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Revelation 21, 1-7 There will be no idleness in heaven, of that we can be sure. I love the proverb that says, But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Proverbs 4.18 When we think of light, we naturally think of the sun, but scripturally light is equated with light, truth, knowledge, and power. The path of the just leads to greater light, greater knowledge, greater truth, and greater power until the perfect day. The perfect day refers to all light, all truth, all knowledge, and all power. 
In other words, omniscience and omnipotence, which are the attributes of God, that does not come instantly, but it will come to anyone who is on the path of the just. You have an eternity to reach omniscience and omnipotence, but it is reachable if we follow the path established by God. That path began in heaven in the premortal existence when we became the children of God. Satan and his angels left that path and became a law unto themselves. Therefore, they were cast out of heaven. Those who stayed on the path are the ones who fought on the side of Michael against Lucifer. That same path continues on earth. Satan is determined to persuade us to abandon the path of the just. He does not want us to become like God. He is an enemy to God. He wants to make us as miserable as he is. If we choose that path of eternal progression on earth, if we follow the commandments of God here, he will keep us on the path of eternal progression in heaven. Can you even imagine the possibilities of progression in the kingdom of God? There is no other path to progression. You are either on the path or you are not. If you reject God, the only being who can show you the way, then you will stop your progression, but you will still exist. How often in the Holy Scriptures do the prophets speak of the straight and narrow path? To progress in this world, we must understand the laws of this world. All temporal laws have conditions. If we want to advance in technology, we must understand those conditions. Some scientists think that math is essential to creation. It is the other way around. Creation is essential to math. Math is merely a description of that which has already been created. Math doesn't create order. Math has no power. Math is an invention of man that brilliantly describes order. Math came only after the universe was created. We need math to understand temporal law, not to create temporal law. Scientists may discover laws, but scientists cannot create laws. The same is true with spiritual dimension. The Holy Scriptures do not create God. The Holy Scriptures are merely a language describing the laws of God. By understanding the laws of God, we better understand God. Creating God through language is a form of idol worship. Language is merely a vehicle of communication, and we should avoid twisting scriptures to fit our idols. It will lead us down strange paths. The Holy Scriptures were delivered by God to man through his holy prophets. Language is an invention of man just as math is. Otherwise, why do we have English, French, German, etc.? India has 300 languages and an infant number of dialects. God always speaks to us in our own language so that we can understand. There is no language barrier with God. Just as we need temporal laws to progress in a temporal world, we need spiritual laws to progress in a spiritual world. Our progression began when we kept our first estate in heaven. That is why we were sent to earth to gain a body and to learn to keep the commandments of God and endure the trials of our faith away from the presence of God. That eternal progression will continue after this life, but it is necessary that we are on the path of the just. Anything else, any other course, will lead to captivity, and that is kind of hell. To live in eternity and never to grow, never to progress. It was Christ himself who said, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, Ye are gods? If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be broken, say ye of him, whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, 
Thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. John 10, 34-36 So, who are you? Lloyd Alexander, the famous children's author, said, You are a great perhaps. I like that. You can know who you are only by knowing where you have been. You can only know what you will become by knowing where you are going. In Alice in Wonderland, the following dialogue occurred between Alice and the Cheshire Cat. Alice asked the cat, Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if you only walk long enough. One thing that you can be sure of, if you remain on the path of the just, if you overcome and endure to the end, you will shine brighter and brighter until the perfect day. You have God's word on that. John tells us, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. 1 John 3, 1-3 Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at ronaldmesser.com